0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Thrive Family Life. They are all about bringing gospel-centered conversations to everyday life, which is obviously so on brand here with what we're trying to do at Dad Tired. Thrive Family Life creates tons of resources for you as a dad or a wife or a husband to figure out ways to point us back to the gospel in very easy casual, normal, but intentional resources. I'm a huge fan of the resources that they put out. I use them in my own family and in my own marriage. They have this one product called Tag Your It Love Notes. It's one of their best-selling items. It's a perfect Valentine's Day uh, gift, by the way, if you want to get this for your spouse for Valentine's Day. But uh, these are fill-in-the-blank love notes that you can... uh, It's just a good way to keep the spark alive, to keep the romance going. So you'll leave a note for your spouse And when they find the note, then tag their it, and they have to then leave a note for you. It's just such an easy and great way for spouses to remind each other through the week, through the the very, will feel like mundane, normal parenting marriage life that they're seen, that they're known, that they're loved. They have a new parents edition because we all know how hard it is to keep the romance alive when we've got newborns in the house. They've got spice set jars, which uh, will keep things nice and spicy, 36 home date night cards. They're doing a really good job at creating all kinds of resources for you as a dad or you, uh, if you're a mom listening or as a husband, particularly when you're thinking through Valentine's Day stuff. So if you're looking for intentional Valentine's Day, which is coming up soon, by the way, so you should think about that. Uh, if you're thinking through gifts for that and for your spouse, definitely go to thrivefamilylife.com and check out all the really cool products and resources that they have over there. If you use the promo code DADTIRED at checkout, you'll get 10% off. You do need to order by February 7th to make sure that you get it by Valentine's Day. Again, that's thrivefamilylife.com and use the promo code DADTIRED to get 10% off. Preston, super excited to be hanging out with you today, man. Even before we hit record or as we try to hit record, we've got all kinds of Uh, technical issues, which always makes me think like, we're probably going to get into something good. I told you right as we were starting here that I don't over spiritual, I try not to over spiritualize everything, but you just also wonder too, like there's an enemy at play here who hates the things that we're talking about, you know, so.
1: For sure. Yeah, for sure.
0: So we're on a phone call right now for you guys who are listening. Normally we would do this on some other software or uh, video, but we had to adjust to a phone call just for technical sake to get this out. But Preston, I'm, just, yeah. I'm a big fan, bro, of what you are doing and what you and your wife are doing and the, the, the resources you guys are putting out to equip the church globally. But for people yeah. who may not be familiar with you, just tell us who you are and what you're up to these days.
1: Well, man, thanks for having me on. Like I said, man, I'm honored to share this space with you and your audience, man. I don't take it lightly at all. My name's Preston. I'm from the South South of Chicago, and I'm a husband to a beautiful wife named Jackie we got four kids. August, um, Sage, Eden, Autumn, and I'm a Bible teacher, an apologist, evangelist, a poet, and I'm a you know I'm a new author. I just wrote my first book. And me and my wife, we host a podcast called With the Perries. Some people may know it as Thirty Minutes with the Perrys, but so we change it to With the Perries. You know, we have a YouTube channel called With the Perries, where we just talk about. Really the goodness of the Lord, discipleship, marriage, theology, a myriad of topics that point to our great Lord and Savior. Yeah, so I, I do a couple of different things, but mainly uh, it's disciple making. How can I make disciples of all nations um, using the various gifts that the Lord has given me, uh, whether that's poetry, teaching, evangelism, etc. So, yeah, that's kind of the nutshell of who I am.
0: Yeah, dude. And you're, you're doing a lot of things, but you're doing a lot of things really well.
1: <laughs> Just, oh, appreciate uh, it Yeah, yeah you're doing, <laughs> i don't always feel that way <laughs> yeah no
0: you're doing a, i mean I, I don't have a like a camera to watch you be a dad all the time so i can't speak to that but i'm sure you're crushing as a dad too and as a husband uh you okay. know we kind of get a glimpse into your marriage through your podcast which is one of the most popular podcasts out there and youtube videos I, I think what people appreciate about you is your ability or your willingness to jump into topics that maybe they wouldn't hear in their church or around normal christian circles you know like, you guys are really yeah. afraid to, to tackle that stuff, which I think people really enjoy. Yeah. But Yeah, dope, dope. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, bro. Like, how did you come to know Jesus? Like, how did Jesus chase you down to the point where now you're using these gifts to, like I said, equip the church in many ways? But how did that get started?
1: Yeah. I'm not trying to plug my book, but I wrote all about this in my, in my new book. <laughs> it's called How to Tell the Truth. Yeah. And, yeah, man. I, I talk about a lot about this guy named Gary. So uh, long story short, because I don't want to give you the very long version, but I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up around Christians like that. The only Christian that I kind of grew up around was my grandmother. And she was like that real Christian, that Christian that would like love you well and rebuke you and the same the same. <laughs> she was one of those people. And she was like the sole Christian in my in my family. And so I had a sense of who God was, but my grandmother wasn't the type of person who would like force religion down your throat, but she just modeled Christianity well. But it wasn't until I was 18 and uh, one of my friends, he was shot outside my house. And I had felt like the Lord was calling me to himself because two years prior to my friend getting shot, I heard the gospel for the first time in a house church. I was chasing some girl. And long story short, in the house church, the pastor got up and said, if you believe that God will not destroy you because you're saying you don't know what love is, God must destroy everything that he hates. Mm. You can either meet God as friend or you can meet him one they judge judged. And that was shook me. That was the first time I heard mm. that I was a sinner and that God had beef with the way that I was living my lifestyle. And mm. I was like, yeah, rocking because I had heard about God. I heard my grandma sing about him and talk about him and talk to him about he's like an old friend. That was the first time. And so two years after that, my friend got shot. And I feel like the Lord was like, when my friend was out there dying and my mom was trying to revive him, I feel like the Lord was like, this is you and your sin, you are dead. Jeez. Because when I heard the gospel for the first time, when I was 16 in a house church, I didn't give my life to the Lord, but I became keenly aware. I became keenly aware of my sin. And I knew that I was an enemy of God. And so two years later, when... The Lord used that incident to draw me to Himself. I left my neighborhood that I was living in, and when I went to my aunt' house, who was a minister, she really couldn't make a very like a big impact on my life. But she introduced me to a guy named Gary Brown. Gary Brown was this guy who grew up not in my neighborhood, but grew up in Chicago that I knew of. He used to be a gang member, and God had radically changed his life. And Gary took me under his wing. And for two and a half years, Gary discipled me and taught me the gospel. He taught me how to live a life worthy. And I remember being in my room one day, really feeling the weight of my sin. And I really felt like the Lord was like, you don't love me like Gary loves you. And the weight of that was heavy. And so I remember crying out to the Lord that day and asking the Lord to save me. And I believe he saved me that day in my room. That was the day I felt different. That's the day I, I felt empowered to say no to my sin. And so I tell people all the time, like through Gary's life, is how I gave my life to Jesus. Wow. I tried to keep it as short as yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah,
0: obviously. And it, um, it's cool that you wrote it all down. Obviously, we can dive in deeper to in the book. Yeah, um, for sure. I know you like geek out on theology and apologetics. So just on, on your own story there with kind of piggybacking off of your own story and in now your experience of being a follower of Jesus for it sound, 20 years, what are your thoughts on like, I know we're getting into a kind of a big theological
1: topic here, but
0: like, do you think you had a choice in the matter <laughs> of being saved?
1: No, well, man, honestly, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I really don't. I I don't believe that we we choose God. I believe that God chose me. Yeah, which is one of the things that I said in my book that God wanted me when I didn't want Him. I believe that the Bible is right when it says that our hearts are depraved and wicked, right? And and we are born in sin. And so for me, I did everything in my power to avoid this. God, because I thought saying yes to this God was saying no to all the sin that loved me that never, that I loved, that never left me back. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, because of that, I ran from God, but God chased me, yeah. you know, and revealed to me. And, I, and one thing I said in, in the book, I said the interesting thing about sin is that you can live comfortable with it your whole life. But once you are made aware of how offensive it is to a holy and a righteous God, it becomes an unwanting guest in the home of your heart, <laughs> like a nagging mm. unwanted guest. Mm. And so, for me, that—that that was my story. That I knew I was a sinner, but I didn't always care. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was—it yeah. was a situation in which, when God came into my life, I cared about how offensive this was to a holy and, and a righteous God. And I believe that God did that work. He did that work yeah. because He chased me and He wanted me. And so.
0: There's so many ramifications to that, to building a theology on that. But I, I agree with you. Like I've been in ministry twenty plus years, and knowing my own story, and just hearing story after story after story, it's like, dude, I just don't know if people have a choice. Like God's pursuing them; he's chasing them down. Yeah, I just don't know if you're gonna escape it. <laughs> you know, like,
1: and it's, yeah. it sounds like that was yeah. your story too.
0: It, it's crazy too that the, the, this guy Gary. Like he discipled you too. That's super rare. Like when you said that, I'm like, that's so rare. Because we have such a conversion model, right? In the church as a whole, like just say a prayer or like sign up for the church membership and you're good. But the discipleship thing is really, you said you were trying to disciple people. That's super rare. We don't hear that language very often.
1: Yeah, no, I think discipleship is key. I think when we look at Jesus's relationship with, with his disciples, not even just talking about Jesus' relationship to, to, with his disciples, but just talk about Jesus in this time. The way they made disciples is by shadowing their rabbis, right. their teachers, right? And so this is how they learned, you know, and so when Jesus is walking past and John the Baptist and his disciples see Jesus and John the Baptist says, look, they go to the Lamb of God, and they begin to follow him, Jesus turns and says, you know, what are you seeking? And they say, you know, Jesus, where are you staying? Right, that question was asked not because they wanted to see what his house looked like. Mm. When it's translated, it, it literally means we want to see how you live. Wow. We want to learn from mm-hmm. you, right? And so he says, "What? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." It's like follow and shadow him. Notice how they didn't say right. Jesus. When is the next sermon? Or right. or, or, <laughs> or Jesus. When is the next conference? Right? These are I'm not demonizing these things. Right? I'm not you know, but discipleship. Making, I, I do think it's very important in the, in the Christian faith because somebody might be called to the Lord, but that doesn't mean that they know how to be a Christian, right? That's right. You know, and this is the reason why the, the Bible says that some people have, you know, seeds planted, and the enemy comes very quickly and and swipes it out, or the wind comes and blows it away. And I think discipleship helps people become rooted in the faith and helps people to remain. With Jesus, and so I, th- I do think God calls people to Himself, but I do think that He has called us to a community where people can pour into people who are less mature in the faith to help us and to teach us how to be Christians. And so I think ultimately, my testimony is that Gary's life showed me that I wasn't a Christian, mm. you know, like through his life, I was able to see what Christianity looked like, and wow. it didn't look like me, wow. right? And so I think that's what real discipleship does. I think it invites people into a life and shows them firsthand what it looks like to follow Jesus. So I, I think it's crucial, and I think it's something that the Christian community probably should pick up more, more than often. You know?
0: I don't think it's happening a lot in our churches, and I have a bunch of thoughts on, on why I think it's not happening a lot, but I, why do you think it's not happening very often?
1: Man, so I think a lot of churches. Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Yeah, how much time do you have?
0: I got, I, I got nothing <laughs> but time, bro. <laughs> Until one <when> of <my> kids <laughs> comes running through here. Yeah, I got nothing but time.
1: Before I answer that question, can I just give like a precursor? Yeah, or,
0: of course.
1: I'm very careful not to bash your church, totally. right? Because I think yeah. a lot of, if there's a lot of bashing of God's church. I agree. Yep. That's unhealthy. Yep. Right. I agree. And I, I believe that if. Christ loves his church, I feel like we should have a healthy love for his church too, because yeah. we are part of the church that we're critiquing, right? Yeah. And so some of this falls on us, right? That's um, but I do think there is a healthy critique of the church that we can give and love. And yeah. I think the healthy critique is, I think a lot of times church is from the life-on-life discipleship relationships, because the church in a lot of ways has become so economic-driven or you know, funds-driven or this has become an organization, right, where we're business-like, right? When we created an atmosphere that says, oh, yeah, you come to the church, you listen to a person teach, and you go home. That is also a form of discipleship, especially if the, sound, if the teaching is sound and it's rooted in biblical truths yeah. and Christology and all of the things, right? But I, I do think that we sell ourselves short when we do not teach men and women how to be disciples Monday through Saturday.
0: Yeah,
1: And so that's a part of it. I also think that discipleship is just not a culture in a lot of places. And I feel like a, a discipleship culture has to be developed in a lot of places. And so I do think that it's not done out of ignorance. People not really seeing the significance of the benefits of it, of a healthy church. I was talking to a guy who went to a church. I met him at a show And he was saying he loves the church because he likes the teaching, but everybody is forcing him to be married, right? (laughs) Hmm. Everybody's forcing him to be a husband. And it it almost seems as if his Christian maturity rests solely on him being willing to say, I do it or not to a woman, right? At a marriage altar. But the thing is, I think what people don't understand is a lot of men don't feel like they're ready to be husbands because they haven't learned how to be disciples yet. Hmm. Like, like if we don't teach men how to be holistic disciples, they don't feel equipped to lead, be be fathers, to be husbands. Right. And so I think holistic discipleship, healthy, holistic discipleship says, I'm not just going to teach you the Bible, but I'm going to invite people in my lives and show you how I love my wife. Show you how I apologize to my wife when I'm wrong. Show you how I love my children. Show you how I respond to my enemies. Show you how I fight sin and go to war in my flesh. Like that type of discipleship is something that you can't learn necessarily through a pulpit that teaches people how to be Christians. Yeah, and so I, I just think stuff like that is just very important. And I, I think when churches start to see the benefit of, no, we would have a healthy church when it's a healthy culture of discipleship. I think more churches should start doing it. Yeah. So,
0: I uh, man, I appreciate you digging into that. I agree with you. I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I worked in the church world for a long time, and I love the church. I think that that is God's tool for reaching the world is His church, you know, His bride. And I, I love the way that you preface that by saying, uh, I don't want to critique the bride in unhealthy ways, but I think it's okay to just Assess ourselves, and I say ourselves. You know, we're part of the church, as you said. You know, and it's like, is, is there yeah. are there areas that we can grow in? But I do think that there is a lot of business like stuff, and discipleship has turned. It's not as flashy because it's slow. It's hard to like measure. I can measure church attendance, yeah. and I can measure tide oh. and budgets, how many people got baptized, anything that we can put numerical values, I can measure. Yes, but how do you measure? Yeah, you know, like. I've spent three years with this dude, and I'm just trying to help him grow in his faith. That's hard to measure. It's slow. And you can't really disciple yeah. at
1: scale, really. It just takes a long time. But you know what? That's funny you said that. You know what's crazy, though? If we really look at it, I try not to speak blanketly at, at times, but I would argue the, the fact that Jesus— made more of an impact of pouring into 12 men that he did than preaching into large crowds. Totally, totally. But we don't see sermons on the Mount over and over and over again in the scripture, things like that. But we see Jesus consistently with 12 men who faithfully poured into them and they poured into others and then they poured into others. Yeah. He poured into others, right? Yeah. And so this is how primarily the gospel was spread throughout the whole earth through the witness of individuals. And so when you talk about numbers, I think the church, we glorify things like altar calls and church attendance and stuff like that. And I don't think that it's necessarily all the way wrong because I think it speaks to the great expectation we have. But Mm -hmm. I think that in order for us to be true disciple makers, true evangelists, we have to be okay with not seeing the weight of our work until we get to glory. Mm. We have to be okay with being seed planters and knowing that God does so much with our faithfulness. The apostles was not able to see all the fruit of their work until until they probably got to heaven. You yeah. know, they were killed, yeah. right? But this personal spreading of the gospel through people is so effective, right? It is how Christianity was spread originally throughout the earth. And so I do think that we do it injustice. When we look to church attendance and, and conferences, and only to be like, because I do think that it has, it's a place for that. I, I think God uses these spaces. For I'm sure. not bashing these spaces. Sure. But at the same time, they should be a launching pad to do everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> like, are we preparing people to make disciples outside of the four walls of the church because Jesus did? Jesus. He prepared his disciples to do so.
0: I think that if I'm just speaking about myself, because again, I don't want to just bash the the church as a whole or critique the church as a whole. If I think about myself, it's just really, really hard. Like when I talk about how hard it is and how slow it is, I just think about my own personal life. Like you're a dad of four too, and you're doing all these things. And to invite, what Gary didn't invite you to go through a book once a week at Starbucks from what it sounds like. Like he invited you to see his whole life. That's slow, you know what I mean? And it's messy. And the guys who Mm -hmm. have discipled me, it wasn't like, hey, meet me at Starbucks every Tuesday and we'll go through this book. It was like, no, come watch Be Be Married. Watch how I got in that argument with my wife. Sit at my dinner table, drive in the car with me. See how I interacted with that person, you know? And it's just like, sure, that takes a lot of time to invite somebody else into your life like that. I saw this reel the other day. It was this young woman who was talking about It was for moms but she was encouraging moms to like hire a babysitter because it was an opportunity for the babysitter to essentially be discipled she i don't know if she used that word but it's like she was basically saying like i learned how to keep how to keep a house organized through mrs so-and-so and and i learned how to discipline kids through mrs so-and-so basically every time this this girl was getting invited to babysit for a family
1: she was being discipled by that wife Absolutely. Yeah, which I thought Absolutely. was really, I think
0: really that, interesting. Yeah, go ahead. I thought that was super interesting.
1: I think that's exactly what discipleship looks like. One, I just want to say, when I first got married, right, when I was younger in the faith, 10 years ago, I had way more time on my hand opposed to having four children. Right, right. But when I was a single Christian, when I was a single man before me, I had more time on my hand than that, mm-hmm. right? And so one, I, I tell people all the time, Ten years ago, if you saw me, you always saw like four or five dudes with me. I don't do that now because I have more responsibilities. And so I don't think that it is ever God's intention for us to run ourselves dry Mm -hmm. trying to disciple the world because as dads and husbands, discipling our children is also a form of discipleship. Like they're our primary ministry. And so one, don't neglect the people in front of you just to disciple somebody outside the house, right? Right. And so, one, we have to know that God cares about our lives and our lives. He doesn't mind us adjusting. And so, maybe you can't disciple four young men. Maybe you can invite one guy, like right before this podcast. One of my dis- disciplers, Javan, just left. I mean, we spent two and a half hours just talking about the scriptures, talking about marriage. He got married in last December. So, he's been married a year. He just celebrated his year anniversary. And so, Just making time to pour into that person, I'll never probably even see on this side of heaven all the lives that he will impact just because I invested in him. And so, one, I think that we got to just keep that in mind. Also, too, what you just said about the lady who set up under the woman who taught her how to discipline kids and all of these things. I mean, I think that's what Matthew 28, when it says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son. And the Holy Spirit, that word go can be interpreted as as you go. Right. Like as you do life. Like I'm not even changing what I usually do. I'm just being intentional and inviting you into it. Yep. Because, you know, I tell people all the time, bro, like I gave my life to the Lord following Gary and watching him fail. Mm. Right. And so the short story was, I started to mimic Gary life. I write about this in the book. I started to mimic Gary life. I start, I, you know, you know, you, when you become a Christian, you break all your secular CDs and you think that's like salvation. <laughs> right. It's like, I didn't broke these DMX CDs. I'm a Christian <laughs> now. Yeah. I remember doing that and I started mimicking his life and I started to convince myself that I was a Christian. And for some reason, like I had this doubt in my mind that do I really love God? But then I was like, oh, maybe I am a Christian. I'm doing everything that Gary is doing. So maybe I'm a Christian. But what I see now that I didn't know then is that Christianity is not be- about behavior modification, mm-hmm. but it's about heart change. Yeah. And so Gary came to pick me up to go play basketball one day in the hood. And he stopped at the bank in the drive-thru. And this lady at the drive-thru, a very beautiful young girl, flirted with him. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he flirted back. This is the first time I ever saw Gary flirt with somebody. Mm. And he flirted back and gave the girl attention back. And I'm sitting at the passenger seat all nosy, like, oh, I know he's going to get her number, you know? Mm. And then all of a sudden, Gary clams up. And he drives off really fast after the lady handed handed his ID and everything. And I was confused. And so 10 minutes later, long story short, Gary stops the car and he says, P, because he called me P. P, man, I want to apologize to you, bro. Like, why are you apologizing to me? He was like, Man, that girl was flirting with me back then, bro. And I was like, Why are you upset? She was flirting with you. He was like, Nah, bro. He was like, That time I entertained it. What made it worse is she was in the car to witness it. Mm. And all my thoughts with this girl have been lustful. I feel so convicted. Mm. I feel so convicted, bro. He was like, His eyes start to get watering. He was like, Bro, would you pray with me? I need to wow. repent. Wow. I was Jeez. like, Whoa, what is this? I've never seen, I like, I've never seen anything like this, right? You got to understand, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This might be small to somebody, but for me at that time, oh, it was huge. revolutionary. That's huge. I was like, whoa, a young man, like mm-hmm. literally, feel, you know? And so doing his prayer, it was like a thought. Like as he was praying, it's like somebody placed a thought in my head. And I, I feel like it was the Lord. It was like, like Preston, this is what it means to love me. And you don't love me like this. Mm. That day I went home, that night I repented and gave my life to Jesus. Jeez. And so I, I say that to say this, is Gary inviting me into his life. He didn't invite me into a perfect life, right? but he invited me into a life that was dependent on a perfect God. man. And it showed me, it was a huge contrast of my life and his. It was like, whoa, now I see how far away... I am from God because I see how close you are to him. And so I think that's what real life on life discipleship does. And so I think because of that, it's powerful. So we can invite people in our lives and not make it up, not fluff it up, not try to be perfect. But if we show them that, no, like I have a relationship with this God. Like for me, Gary's life made a life of Jesus, a, a relationship with Jesus tangible. Like if God came and met him, maybe he wants to have a relationship with me too. Wow. Maybe I can be close with him too, and so I think that's what real life, real life discipleship does. And I think that's the power of just as I go. Let me bring somebody who doesn't know the Lord or is very immature in the Lord with me.
0: So, man, man that's so good. And that kind of stuff just can't. And I'm not bashing, uh, you know, meeting at Starbucks at, on Tuesdays or whatever. But that stuff you got to get in real life. Like you got to get in the real. I can be somebody else on Tuesdays at Starbucks but you watch me at the yeah. drive through or whatever, you're going to mm-hmm. catch real glimpses. You watch me with my wife, with my kids. I, again, that's real life discipleship. I would just say for the listener, yeah. like two things to think about right now for you listening. One would be who comes to mind when you think about that? Like who comes to mind, one, that you could pour into? Like if you're listening to the Dad Tired Podcast, most likely you're trying hard to love Jesus, which means you're probably a little bit Far on your journey, you're, you're somewhere ahead of somebody on your journey of trying to follow Jesus. And so, is there somebody in your life, maybe a college student, a young married, some guy in your church, a neighbor, somebody that just gave their life to Christ, somebody that's just like, that comes to your mind right now? It's like, dude, I should probably invite that guy into my life more. And then the second question would be just like, what are you already doing that you could invite that guy into? you don't have to make stuff up like Preston was just saying, but like, what can you invite them already into? So I just got my oil changed and I had to go sit at the dealership for an hour or whatever. And I I was thinking I should have brought somebody with me here, you know, like just come do, I'm already doing this. I already have this time allotted in my schedule. Somebody should be with me to be part of this. So that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, but, Bro, that's a yeah, that's really powerful. Sure. That's a really powerful picture of what you shared. Yeah. Sometimes uh, Jackie will post like videos of you. I'll, she'll like uh, she'll do like a hidden camera of you guys like in an Uber or something. You're <laughs> <She'll>, like, oh <laughs> my gosh, yeah. she, you, you guys are you're talking to somebody about you? You're always talking to people about Jesus, and she'll uh, she'll yeah, catch yeah, you yeah. doing it, you know. And so it's fun for us to watch that from afar. But how do you marry yeah. those two things that we we're just talking about? Where you're like you're passionate, obviously, about discipleship but also about evangelism cuz you you're not going to be able to most likely bring the uber driver into your life and have long-term yeah. discipleship but and so instead of just saying well it's not even worth talking to this dude right now because I I won't have a long relationship with him you still seem to be passionate about evangelism like how do you marry those yeah. two
1: things in your mind yeah cuz i think evangelism and life on life discipleship is ultimately Done, for the same reasons is to make disciples. It's just a different way, right? I love how we see Jesus gives us an example. Of both we yeah. see Jesus walking with Peter and John and Judas and the disciples, and, and teaching them how to be disciples with life on life relationship, right? But we also see him not necessarily having a relationship with the woman at the well, but having a one on one encounter, right? That lasted. I don't really know how long it lasted, but it wasn't very long, right? right. Where he revealed himself to her and told her to go tell every, you know what I mean? Like she went and told everybody, she, like, she became an evangelist, right? So <laughs> she talked mm-hmm. to me like mm-hmm. this man that I, I don't even know came and told me everything about myself, right? And so we see Jesus doing both. I tell people all the time, I love evangelism, I love apologetics, and I love discipleship making. They're not the same thing. But definitely, they definitely hold hands. I tell people all the time, the moment you tell somebody that you're a Christian, you're an evangelist. The moment they ask questions, hey, you become an apologist. Mm. And the moment they're willing to follow you, you become a disciple maker. Wow. And so for me, you know, I understand that I have those moments where I feel led by the Lord to just share Jesus with somebody. Because I'm an evangelist, I believe that God kind of in this sovereignty made me an evangelist, honestly. Mm. But when I get in the Uber ride and I see like some stuff that might indicate this person is of another religion, I'm going to ask questions. And I'm going to see if there's a door for me to introduce Jesus to them. Because I do think discipleship making is a process. And I understand the process because, like I said in the beginning of the call, the first time I heard the gospel, I was 16 at a house church. I didn't give my life to the Lord, but I became keenly aware of my sin. And I became conscious that this Jesus was real, and he was requiring something for me. Mm. And so when I think about evangelism, that's what I think. I think about, man, I'm not necessarily looking for this person. I'm not going to be disappointed if this person doesn't say, oh, okay, are you convinced me? I want to give my life to Jesus right now. But I'm okay with planting those seeds and allowing somebody later on in, in their life to water that seed, to disciple them. Yeah. Because that guy who shared the gospel with me when I was 16 years old, he didn't know that his word impacted me that much. He right. was just faithful. He just shared the gospel. And then through God's sovereignty in my story, he used Gary later on to help water that seed of faith that was planted some years back. right? And so I, that's how I look at evangelism. And that's why I view evangelism like I view it. And so I just know that God is faithful to do great works with the work that we do yeah, uh, and the seeds that we plant.
0: I think there are a lot of guys listening to this who probably they're like, dude, all right, I hear what you're saying, you know, and you, you call yourself an evangelist, but like I'm an accountant, you know, or I like I run yeah. a small business or I'm or doing whatever and I'm not an evangelist. And most guys yeah. probably feel like there's no, I don't even know how I would turn a conversation from some, an Uber driver or a guy at the deli or whatever. How do you even shift the conversation from a sandwich or an Uber ride to the things of God? Like how are you thinking? That's a really good question. Yeah, how are you thinking through that? Man,
1: you know what? Out of all the questions that you've asked so far and they've all been good, but I love this question the most (laughs) because I think if people can understand and I spent all morning talking to one of the guys that I disciple about this, because he has a heart for evangelism. If a lot of times we are not effective evangelists, and we don't even realize that we're evangelists because we're so focused on ourselves. Yeah. One, but we're also focused on what people believe Mm. and not why they believe it. Mm. And so I think that if we get to the why people believe things, I think that our evangelism can be a lot more effective and it can be, listened to it, it can be a lot more natural. Yeah. So when I get into a car, I'm not merely trying to come against what someone believes to evangelize to them, I'm literally trying to get to know them and why they believe it, right? And so the one way you do that is instead of telling people, no, what you believe is wrong and the Bible says this, is to invite people into a conversation by asking good questions, right? I think learning how to ask good questions and being inquisitive will help Conversations be natural, and once a conversation is natural, God will give you a door to share truth eventually. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I do think it's about being spirit led, but for me, it is. And, and also, I'm not trying to make this sound easy, I will say that it comes with practice. Yeah, if like every Christian is called to make disciples, right? Matthew 28 is not talking to just evangelists, it's talking to all Christians, right? That if you're called to make disciples, however that looks like methodology will help eliminate fears or yada, yada, yada. Like if you ask good questions. And so one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he asks questions yeah. that he already knew the answer to. Yeah. When he asked the woman at the well, where's your husband? He knew she had five. right? And so he's inviting her into a conversation so He so that he can reveal something to her. And so I, I do think that we just have to be intentional about the questions that we ask. But also too, when you said something like, Some people might be listening and they are accounting or whatever, and they might not necessarily be called to be an evangelist in a particular way. They might not be called to be an evangelist, but they are called to make disciples. And that looks differently. And one of the things that I try to communicate in the book that I wrote is like God is going to use you how He has uniquely made you. I don't think that we should think evangelism should look one way. Yeah. Because. That gives a disservice to the God who created us all differently. Yeah. Like one time I was in the airport coming home with Jackie who was leaving Virginia, coming to Atlanta, and I saw two Jehovah's Witnesses in the airport. Of course, I felt compelled to go talk to them. <laughs> and I was like, babe, I'm going to go talk to these Jehovah's Witnesses. And she was like, okay, I'm about to go get us something to eat. Peace. <laughs> right? And she, and, she <laughs> left, and she left me. When I tell you my wife knows the gospel, she's a great Bible teacher. She's a great disciple in her own right, Mm -hmm. but I didn't feel this need to say, you know the gospel, you should come along with me. Mm. As a matter of fact, she'll tell you that the way God has made her, she will be more of a distraction in a conversation like that didn't help. Mm. But the thing that encouraged me the most is after I left the conversation with the Jehovah's Witnesses, I came back, found my wife at the restaurant, and I walk into a little restaurant in the airport And she's sitting there with the waitress with her head bowed, praying with the waitress. And so they get done praying. My wife says, yeah. Um, This waitress asked me, who am I ordering food for? I said, my husband. She said, where's your husband? My husband over there talking to some Jehovah's Witnesses. She said, I used to be a Jehovah's Witness. And they excommunicated me from the church. I was done with religion ever since then. Mm -hmm. My wife was able to share the gospel with her through that. So I say all that to say this. My wife wasn't compelled to go look for a conversation like I was, yeah. right? Because that's not how God has made her. But she didn't stray away from the opportunity that God presented for her. Man. And so I think evangelism is not about being bold to do what men are afraid to do. But evangelism is about, and discipleship making, it's about obedience. Yeah, It is not trying to be like a ray comfort. Or, or even like a meat, like it is how can God use me, how he has uniquely made me and how can I be obedient when an opportunity is presented to not stray away from it. And so I think that if we thought about evangelism and discipleship making in that way, I think it would just free us up. Yeah, I think so too.
0: Man, that's really good. What might come to mind first is like, oh, uh, let me go get into an argument with somebody about religion. (laughs) And uh, yeah. I, I don't think that's at all. I've, I've seen you do this like because Jackie <laughs> records you doing it. Uh, but I've seen you do it. Yeah. And it's more about relationship. And I love what you said, like, why does somebody believe? And I think any all of us can do that. Even the fact that Jackie at lunch said to that waitress, she cracked the door open by saying, you were over there talking to Jehovah's Witness. She could have just said, oh, he's not here right now, but he'll be here. Like, I bet you, yeah. you know, even if it was subconscious, she tried to shift the conversation in some way. To crack that door open, and then you start to learn somebody's yeah. story. And whenever you learn somebody's yeah. story, you just always get to know what their God is in some way. Mm-hmm. What is it that they worshipped or worship, or what has failed there? That's and we really get to turn, we get to turn them to a better God. And uh, so often, yeah. oftentimes, when I'm in you know an Uber or on the plane or whatever, like for me, you know, because I'm kind of in the fatherhood space, I always just try to bring up dad stuff because that's a super easy way to bring up like real pain or real joy sometimes. Mm. But you can quickly learn like a lot about somebody's story by just talking about like their dad. I can be in an Uber ride and, and, and I can just, the way that I'll put bait out there, that sounds terrible. That's not, not the right language, you know, but the way that I'll kind of like yeah, yeah. tease the conversation is I might just say something like, oh, I got that from my dad. And it could be something lighthearted. Yeah. But then now yeah. we're talking about dads, yeah. you know what I mean? And then I can yeah. just ask like, hey, were you close to your dad? Or did you get any traits from your dad? And now all of a sudden we just shifted yep. the whole conversation from an Uber ride or a deli sandwich or, what, or airplane, whatever, to now we're talking about dads. And you, now you just stepped a, a foot on the pathway of what could be a really deep and theological and fun spiritual conversation. You know what I
1: mean? But That's good. And that, and, and that's actually way bigger than, uh, than some people might give credit for because when you talk about things like that and you invite people into an intimate conversation like that, it's so important because one thing that I've learned is that people really don't care what you know. until so they know that you care. Yeah, totally. And so inviting them into a conversation where like, oh, like, man, I feel seen, heard. Mm-hmm. It is possible to build trust in a short amount of time mm-hmm. to get truth to somebody.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so Jesus did it and he came and modeled it. If Jesus modeled it for us, that means we can do it too. So,
0: and if they're not a follower of Jesus, like they probably aren't having these kinds of conversations anywhere else. You know what I mean? Like I've yeah. I've noticed people actually, it's refreshing to them that you're talking about something meaningful, like their family or their beliefs or some, whatever it is. But like a lot of people want to talk about stuff, they have no outlet to have these kinds of conversations. And so when you when yeah. you bring it up, in my experience, most people are actually they don't shy away from talking most people want to talk about themselves it's everybody's favorite favorite subject themselves you know most people want to yeah. talking about it. anyway man I could go on and on I, I have so many more questions for you but I'm running out of time I want to be respectful of your time bro I know you're busy but man this is good dude I'm, I'm grateful that you you know obviously you're doing the spoken word stuff you got the podcast you have so many ways that we can pick your brain but I'm glad you you got a book out there now and I'll just say too man I don't want to blow smoke but both you and Jackie have had a profound impact on my spiritual journey. And so I just want to thank you personally for what you guys are oh, wow. doing and your, your obedience to no, my disciples. Because from, from afar, it's, it's helping
1: me on my journey, too. That's dope, man. Thanks, man. That's, that's an honor. It's a real honor. Seriously.
0: Yeah. It's dope. All right, bro. Well, I appreciate you and your time. I'll have everybody go pick up a copy of your book uh, when it comes out later this year, How to Tell yeah. the Truth by Preston Perry. You can get it wherever books are yeah, sold. Man. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you. Thank you, bro. All right, man. God bless you,
1: bro. See you, man.